The following podcast contains explicit language. You're listening to Working, the show about what people do all day. I'm your host, Jordan Weissman, and this week we are finally coming to the end of our long-running series on Colorado's cannabis industry. I'm going to be talking with Peter Marcus. He's the in-house lobbyist at Terrapin Cares Station in Boulder. And like all lobbyists, Peter is just kind of a fantastic talker. But I want to give you a heads up about this particular uh, episode of the show. Um, We are going to be talking about how Peter does his job. But we also just talk a lot about the politics of marijuana in general. And so you're going to be hearing a little less about things like how he gets, say, a meeting with a politician and more about what it's like to see a bill you've worked on for a year die at the hands of the governor of your state who you thought was your good friend for about, oh, more than a decade. I think it's a lot of fun hearing his perspective on that. Also, for those interested, we're going to be starting a new series next week. It's going to be all about what it's like to work at the Museum of Modern Art in New York City. I'm super excited for that one. But in the meantime, enjoy listening to me and Peter chat. What's your name and what do you do? I'm uh, Peter Marcus. I'm the communications director for Terrapin Care Station. We're a national cannabis company based in Boulder, Colorado, and I also handle political outreach for the organization. So that is to some extent a fancy way of saying you're a lobbyist. Sure. I'm a registered lobbyist in the state of Colorado. I was a reporter for 14 years and I covered political and government issues. I was a state house reporter. I ended off uh, at this uh, outlet, coloradopolitics.com. Um, it was a arm of the Colorado Springs Gazette. I'm not necessarily ready to admit that I'm a lobbyist (laughs) just because for 14 years I covered lobbyists and a lot of the things that can come out of lobbying, um, some good and some not so good. And so it's been an interesting transition to acceptance that I am a lobbyist, but yes. Is there like a 12-step program or something? Like, yeah. Nah, you have to there pop. should be a 12-step program for a former journalist. We actually, unfortunately, sadly, there's more and more of us every day. <laughs> and so we ha- it is you a 12-step to- program, except it involves a lot of alcohol, so it's <laughs> different than a 12-step program. And it's usually in a bar, in a corner, in the back, commiserating with each other. So. Oh, man. So, all right. So... You, you're a former reporter who now you handle government outreach and comms for a dispensary, and I guess well, disp- a dispensary, a, a, a cannabis company. You're, you're, you guys are seed to sale. You grow your own stuff and you market it. So, what exactly are you working on these days? I, I've heard from everybody like about the just like, insane thicket of regulations this industry has to deal with. But what is like on your daily plate? What are we not working on? So, let can I just walk you through today? Yeah, sure. Why the hell not? Um, so <laughs> today, I started my day in a, with a stakeholder meeting in a de- down in Denver at the state capitol. We were part of a group last year that passed the nation's first public consumption law in the nation for marijuana. It was our bill. It passed through the state legislature to allow for so-called tasting rooms for marijuana, similar to like a brewery tasting room where people would be able to come and vape sample uh, products. Anyways, a historic thing. We got it through the legislature. 
legislature. Unfortunately, the governor uh, did not like it. And uh, despite the bipartisan support in the legislature, including 15 Republicans who signed on to the bill, the governor vetoed it. So today I was at a stakeholder meeting to start my day talking about how to do a restart for next legislative session, which will start in January. And it was a group of lawmakers and other stakeholders in the industry. So that was that. Then I went down to Aurora to meet with some researchers at the Anschutz campus who are working on some really interesting studies around marijuana and its impact to perhaps pregnant women, uh, what are dispensaries saying and doing when it comes to giving advice to pregnant women, because we really shouldn't be giving advice on cannabis to pregnant women. So they're kind of taking the temperature through a survey, and they're uh, looking to do some research to eventually determine impacts, if any, um, so that we can advise more. Then from there, I came back up to Boulder, where our corporate offices are, to discuss an application we have pending, or hopefully pending, uh, for the state of New Jersey, where we're looking to um, expand our operations. It's a very competitive process. About 800 people showed up last week for a meeting on it. Um, we're hoping to get one of six licenses that are currently uh, being offered. So then started talking Jersey here, and now here I am sitting with you doing a media interview. So I don't know what we're not doing. It's like, <laughs> it's everything, you know? Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Okay, wait, so how long have you been lobbying now? Uh, let's see, when, when I've registered, October of last year. So I came on to Terrapin um, as communications director about a year ago, exactly. And shortly after, registered as a lobbyist and started working on the tasting rooms bill I just talked about in Colorado. So about a year now. So how, how do lawmakers treat you guys? Or is it like, do they see you as a powerful industry? Do they see you as just sort of young upstart? Like, what is it? They think of us as a powerful industry. Really? Um, they think of us as probably one of the most powerful forces in the legislature right now, and I'm not just saying that. Um, you can look. There's been some recent articles about it. The marijuana industry is starting to, and I can already see the eyes roll from my fellow colleagues in the cannabis for reiterating this story, but we're starting to catch up to the oil and gas industry when it comes to lobbying efforts in the state of Colorado. The reason for that is very simple. It is a brand new industry. So there is n everything we do is from scratch. And every year they change, they move the goalposts. So if you're not with a lot of lobbyists talking about these issues, you know, then it's not going to get done and it's not going to get done the right way because you're crafting it all from the beginning. You're also talking about an industry that if you lose sight of responsible regulation and how to do that efficiently, then what you can do is you can lose the industry itself because the entire basis for it, the glue for it, is safe, responsible regulation. If that goes away, then we don't have an industry to be dealing with because they shut us down. So that's why you see so many lobbyists. In terms of the power our element of it, we've gotten really savvy and really mature and really smart in the last few years. And so the people who are in the Capitol lobbying, people like me, 
are people who have been there for over a decade or so, and so who know the who have the relationships, who know the folks who are making the laws, and who can actually get the sort of access that is needed. And you know them because you were a reporter. I knew them as a reporter. Um, I had to start every conversation last year uh, or this prior session when talking about tasting rooms, like. You know I'm not a reporter anymore, right? I'm a lobbyist now because at first the first time I did it the person didn't realize and thought they were answering my questions as a reporter when I was really coming to them as a lobbyist. So yeah, I knew them all for years and years as a reporter. I had to explain to them, uh, this is a different situation now. Wait, okay, so I, I have to ask this. This is like just a professional curiosity. Would you say the level of bullshit you get from politicians is higher now or lower than when you were a reporter? Oh, that is a great question. Honestly, man, I think it's less now. And I can't believe I'm saying that. I think as a reporter, they actually maybe fed me more freaking bullshit. Because one of the things I've learned since taking over on the lobbying side is that there are things I never knew as a reporter well, that are now suddenly... Wait, how, like, what kind of stuff have you... Much more transparent. Wait, like what? Uh, I'm not going there. But, like, <laughs> but in the, I can very generally say, you know, in terms of, let's just say when you're covering a bill, yeah. there's a message, yeah. and then there's what happens behind the scenes. Well, so course. I see more of what's behind the scenes. You're getting more of that. Right. Yeah, you're getting more of the straight talk. In terms of uh, bullshit on the marijuana thing, like whether they say, I mean, Colorado is pretty good with its lawmakers. Your word is your bond. So okay. they are pretty good about if they, you know, say I'm supporting your bill or whatever, not supporting your bill. Um, it's pretty honest. Okay. So when you talk about the industry's growing influence, is that because you know how to talk to people? Is it because you've got, is it like, and I, I always hate to draw this comparison, but is it like kind of like a gun lobby thing where it's just like a lot of people fucking love your product? Or or is it like campaign donations? Like, what is it? Honestly, the campaign donations, there was another story on that. I mean, they're getting up there, but it's nowhere close to most other industries at this point. We have a little thing called 280E. It's a provision of the tax code that basically doesn't let us take any deductions on any of our expenses as a cannabis business. It's a federal thing because it's still federal legal. Everybody thinks the industry is swimming in money. We're not. Like We are extended just like any other industry. So in terms of political contributions, yes, we are contributing. Yes, we are hosting fundraisers, but it I don't think that that in of itself has moved them. What I believe has moved them is that the industry in Colorado, at the very least, and we're starting to see it nationally, is smart. And like we have some really smart people working up with us who understand messaging, who understand optics, who know how to talk about this now. We know what messages work, what messages don't work, and it's gotten easier to talk to lawmakers. Yeah, it, even in the time that you've been there? You know, it's hard to say. I'm only doing this a year yeah, now on say. this side, so really I don't have a barometer, but I can tell you in 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 lobbying our public consumption tasting rooms bill uh, last session, I was shocked at how well-received I was as not only a cannabis lobbyist, but as somebody who was pushing the first public consumption marijuana bill through legislature in the nation. Yeah. Well, so tell me, how did you guys build that? Like, how did you build that campaign? 
So um, we revolved it around the truth, which was education and access, is that um, what we uh, Colorado did a lot of things right when it came to Amendment 64 and legalizing marijuana, but there was a few things that we dropped the ball on. One of the biggest issues we dropped the ball on was not coming up with a public consumption model. So what you end up happening is people are coming, tourists, folks like you guys come to the state, buy cannabis, find out that they can't consume at their hotel, can't consume on the street, can't consume in a park. And so they just say, screw it. And they end up smoking where they're not supposed to or vaping where they're not supposed to. Also, people don't know what they're doing always. They'll come here. They're novice. They're new to cannabis. They aren't getting the education on the consumption side because the transaction is just a retail transaction now. So what ends up happening is they leave without knowing what consumption feels like. Go slow. You know, we tell them, you know, start low, go slow, you know, and we, you know, try to like work with them on it, but they're not getting that hands-on feel, right? So that's what we told the legislature was like, you want this out, out of your parks, you want this off your streets, you want consumers to know how to use this stuff and much more importantly for mom and dad who don't want their kids around it they now have a map of where not to take their kids because they know people are consuming there now they're not in the park they're consuming there i'm not going to go there but i can go to the park now where nobody's consuming you said there was a bipartisan bill in the end right we had 15 republicans that supported the bill so but generally democrats are friendlier to marijuana in colorado than the gop I think that uh, that is a perception that was based in a historical perception of marijuana is that Democrats definitely have been easier on it over the years. I have seen it shift. I, I wouldn't say one, at this point, I'm not going to say one is better than the other. I talked to Democrats who just don't want marijuana. We had Democrats that didn't vote for a bill last year, just like we had Republicans that didn't vote for a bill last year. I think what you're finding is that Republicans are coming on board now in larger numbers and faster because Democrats were kind of already there. They kind of came and became entitled to the fact that voters just know that they're good with marijuana, right? And then what happened is popularity for marijuana legalization started to skyrocket. We're now at two-thirds, about 62-63% in several polls nationally for acceptance of recreational legalization. You're up to like 94-95% support for medical marijuana legalization. All of a sudden, Republicans are playing catch-up. So you're starting to see more and more Republicans in larger numbers coming on board with marijuana that it's starting to tilt it that Democrats don't necessarily have the full edge in just the assumption that they're immediately good with marijuana. And you're willing to throw your support behind Republicans if it means that they're, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And we have, and we can will continue to do so. Yeah. So I guess like Cory Gardner's pretty, like he's a Republican, he's your Republican senator, and he's played a pretty instrumental role in the federal level, kind of protecting your guys' interests, right? I will take it one step further and say he's played the most instrumental role on the federal level in the sense of bringing the conversation into the mainstream for Republicans. Hey, can you talk a little bit more about that? So Cory Gardner, um, I know for about a decade from my report, days going way back to when he was in the state house is a conservative he did not support amendment 64 he didn't think it would pass and when it did he didn't really give it much thought other than this is ridiculous and then it became a thing right and it started to become a business and it got more and more regulated and more and more legal and more and more accepted and then voters and constituents started to come at it Cory Gardner is the chairman of the National Republican Senatorial Committee. He is the chief fundraiser for United States Republicans 
in this country. So the bottom line is that Corey Gardner made a calculation. He, along with his folks, took a look at the issue and uh, realized that support is growing so fast for marijuana that this might be an issue that we can actually win votes on. So that's how quickly it evolved. It wasn't just, well, maybe we won't lose votes on it. It's maybe we'll win votes and raise money off of this. Well, so what has he been doing specifically? So Corey has been a champion on the tax issue that I mentioned earlier, 280E, where we can't take deductions. As a result of that, some of our tax rates are as high as 65 to 80% effectively as a result of that. So one of the first things he did was he was running a bill to reform that to uh, to give us an exemption from 280E. He then took it a step further and came out really publicly on like, we need to fix the banking issue and we need to protect state rights. That's the other thing. If you're a Republican and you're heading into the midterm right now and you're maybe playing against Donald Trump and not exactly in his camp or whatever, or even in his camp, states' rights issue that's always going to play well with the right Republican base. So Corey took that issue of states' rights, and now he has a bill with, get ready, of all people, Elizabeth Warren. So we have one of the most conservative, you know, Republican, you know, stalwarts, who's the head of the NRSC, running a bill with Elizabeth Warren, a Democratic champion, to uh, protect, so it'll address the banking issue, the tax issue I mentioned, and then it will also uh, protect legal marijuana states from federal intervention. If I'm not mistaken, also, Gardner is a guy who like stripped funding from the Justice Department to go after dispensers, right? Or something along those lines? He didn't strip funding. What he did was he put up a fight. So um, he uh, said that he would block Senate uh, confirmation hearings for Jeff Sessions' Justice Department appointees. Not critical ones. We're not talking about like counterterrorism appointments or anything like that. But for lower level appointments that needed confirmation hearings, he held them up. He caught the attention of the president. Uh, I don't know if you've heard, but uh, President Trump and uh, AG Jeff Sessions don't exactly get along. Um, so basically, in the middle of all this, while the president uh, we're going back several months, it was that first assault in Syria, while the president issued one of his first military strikes as president of the United States on a larger level, somehow found time during that to pick up the phone, call Corey Gardner personally and say, I just want you to know, Corey, you have my support on this marijuana legalization effort. So that's where it's gone. So yeah, I mean, I, I'm asking about all this political stuff, even though it's not like, you know, the specifics of your day to day job. I think it just gives a sense of, you know, why you have you, you're playing with both parties at this point, that it's not really partisan that you're looking it shouldn't be partisan. Yeah. So at this point, are your concerns more State level stuff, or are they more federal? Equal. So in Colorado, we've got it pretty well figured out, you know, in terms of the state level stuff. Obviously, we there's things we need to continue to push on, like the public consumption aspect, adding autism to a condition for medical marijuana. There's still things that we need to push on, financial uh, access, things like that for the marijuana industry. So yeah, in, you know, on the state level, it's very important. In other states, it's even more important because you have new regimes. God, look no further than California. They still don't know how to legalize marijuana in a retail model out there. Um, so in a place like that, it's going to be a very big state 
issue. But honestly, like we very much keep, feel the federal stuff is on an equal footing of importance. I wouldn't necessarily say for this company and for what we're doing more important, but it's, you know, an equal footing. So we do have our heads in, in that we've been. And, you know, so our office has been working very closely with Corey Gardner on the bill and others. We do have trade groups that work on the federal level as well. So there's a broader federal, you know, uh, broader trade groups that work on the federal issues as well. But for us, for me, at least specifically, I have my head just as far into the federal stuff as I do with the state stuff. Who would you say is actually more sophisticated about this stuff by now? Is it the state legislatures or is it the federal guys you you talk to? State legislatures. It's taking... Uh, state legislatures in legal marijuana states. Yeah, the education is being done or has been done, and you know you've started moving people, and they understand it better. Um, they've put a face to the industry. They've gone to our cultivation sites. They've gone to our retail sites. They've seen it. They can feel it. They can touch it. Right. Yeah. When you're dealing with Congress, obviously, yeah, you have people like Cory Gardner from a legal marijuana state who gets it, and obviously the broader element of our Congress delegation from Colorado and other legal marijuana states are on board. The lift is getting others who can't feel it, see it, touch it, to understand what's going on. And that's when we employ state lawmakers who have seen it and done it to connect with federal lawmakers to kind of explain to them the experience. Interesting. So that's something you're doing. You're connecting lawmakers in Colorado to sit, talk to their federal counterparts? All and- the time. So first of all, we'll have um, national trade groups for elected officials or local municipalities. Local governments will uh, oftentimes get in touch with us, ask if they t- can do a tour, see our grow. We'll usually ask for a state lawmaker from Colorado to join so that they can talk to them about their experience as a lawmaker. We walk it through absolutely state lawmakers from legal marijuana states that have seen its success are a huge tool in educating those from other states that haven't. They're your proselytizers. They are individuals who learned from our process who can now (laughs) definitely share that process with others. It's just education. That's all. Of course, that's a way of showing their support for your industry. It's a way for them to show support for legal marijuana being a success and it not being the negative thing that sky falling that Jeff Sessions thought it was going to be. And by the way, when was the last time you heard from Jeff Sessions on marijuana? Yeah. So does that ever, do you ever worry about him anymore? Uh, no. No, never. No. Yeah. I do not, per- I don't personally worry about Jeff Sessions. Jeff Sessions is not a problem for me or that I see for the industry as a whole. Are you going to interview people in the industry who are scared to death of what he can do? Yes. But here's why I'm not afraid of Jeff Sessions. Jeff Sessions has no power. He is the attorney general of the United States, but he cannot prosecute people. That There's a reason there's a separation between the federal prosecutors on the state level and the attorney general, that he can guide them. So he can offer guidance to federal prosecutors to say, hey, which is what he did with his Memo when he rescinded the other things, his guidance was, you guys really need to crack down on this. This is bad. Do you know what the reaction was from federal prosecutors? Nah, dude, we got this. Like, Colorado's going just fine. Literally, the U.S. attorney in Colorado issued a statement that essentially said, 
If we see a problem, we'll do something. And there hasn't been too many problems for them to deal with. So no, Jeff Sessions, I'm not worried about long term. Jeff Sessions to worry about his own political future, quite frankly, right now, because what he tried to do was latch on to marijuana to sort of win back the evangelical conservative vote. What ultimately happened is that evangelical conservative vote is now much more behind Trump than they are somebody like him from the traditional side of things. And President Trump doesn't care. And so really, I don't see anything happening with it. Although he may hear me now and the whole industry is going to yell at me because they're like, why would you give him an excuse? (laughs) Sorry. My bad. (laughs) I'm obviously not that worried. (laughs) Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. What does worry you? Does anything, or is it more Is it more just getting rid of headaches at this point? I mean, what worries me is other states that come online doing the right thing. And so far, I've been really impressed. So like I said, there were lessons that needed to be learned from Colorado. We got it mostly right, but there were some things we didn't get right. I started with public consumption. Another issue we really have not addressed properly is access for minority communities, uh, you know, people of color and low-income folks who don't have a million dollars to open up a cannabis business. Colorado kind of dropped the ball on that. We did not address how to have more diversity in the industry. You're starting to see other states come online that are starting to push for more diversity, you know, uh, preference to minority-owned companies, things like that, working on apprenticeship training programs, things of that nature. But that's that's really interesting. Wait, so it, I, I want to unpack that a little bit. Mm-hmm. So what it sounds like you're talking about is the fact that you need a certain amount of capital in order to open a can. It's like how much, $500,000 or something? You can't put a price tag on it. It's every different market. But let me tell you, if you got in for five hundred grand, you just got in at a great deal. Okay. So you need a lot of free fucking money, to yeah. like just sitting in a bank account, essentially, in order to open a, a, a dispensary. I mean, so that's keeping a lot of minority businessmen out of it, is yes. what you're saying. Yeah. I I think that um, what you have seen is a lack of access for minority businesses. And and if you look at the industry, it's a very white, um, wealthy industry that does not represent the diversity of what we're trying to do, which is end a failed drug war. The drug war disproportionately impacted people of color and low-income folks because they were the easy, low-hanging fruit targets, right? So if we don't keep a sight on what this thing was about from the beginning, which was ending a failed drug war and you know moving on to more sensible policy then you've lost sight of the whole thing so my worry is yeah that's my worry is that we don't wrap our brains around access and equality enough and what like i said i've been really pleased with what i've been seeing states like new jersey pennsylvania others that are now exploring it are starting to take that more seriously you sound like you generally like dealing with politicians Ah, oh, that's funny. Um, <laughs> this is sad. Like, so for an ex-reporter, you sound less than jaded about them. Man, that's crazy. I don't know. That hurts me. Um, <laughs> so I actually really do enjoy working with politicians. Um, I was one of the few. Uh, actually, that's not true. 
I think overall political reporters enjoy working with politicians. I think they just know they're full of shit a lot of the time. Yeah. That's all. But like the relationships are there. First of all, you're not a good political reporter if you don't have relationships with the people you're covering. It's true. You're not getting any information, period. Yeah. So the fact that like, you know, people would assume that somebody who came from this side as a political reporter hates politicians probably doesn't know a political reporter because some of our greatest friends are politicians just because of the circle you're in, right? Yeah, it's mutual respect. And so, or hat, you need mutual respect. It's mutual. And so I greatly enjoy working with most politicians. I, I want to come back to what we were discussing about bullshit. Like you said, you actually feel like you get less bullshit now that you're on the lobbying side, mm-hmm. which is not totally shocking to me mm-hmm. because you're, you're supposed to be behind closed doors. Mm-hmm. But I'm curious if there are things about being a lobbyist now that if there's new bullshit that you deal with, dealing with politicians, like, is there stuff that you, I mean, you there, dislike about it? There's things that will frustrate you to no end. I mean, my greatest frustration from la- from last legislative session was we spent 14 months building a bipartisan coalition to pass the first public consumption bill in the nation. We got buy-in from the Marijuana Enforcement Division and the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment. We got buy-in from the local governments, counties, and municipalities. We got buy-in from... Well, not law enforcement, but we got buy-in from a wide range of groups, including like food trucks, businesses, everybody who would like. Are you got the food truck lobby on, well, on this. Well, think about it. <laughs> what happens outside of a brewery? Fair enough. About three food trucks are sitting outside. All right. What's yeah. going to happen outside of a cannabis yeah. tasting room? Five food trucks outside of it. So anyway, yeah, we had all of this buy-in, all of this. We built this bipartisan coalition. We got the votes. We passed this historic bill, right? And then Governor John Hickenlooper, who I would even call um, a pal. <laughs> he's, he's We've had a close relationship over the years just because I've literally covered him since he was the mayor of Denver. So I've yeah. seen him oh, evolve over 14 years. So I was very close uh, with him. He broke my heart because he um, he he's going to be running for president. I He hasn't announced yet, but just remember I you said think he's that. Gonna, you think he's going to do it? Just remember I said he that. He had that whole thing with John Kasich where he was like. Forget that was all total bullshit but like it was yeah. it was genuine yeah i assumed it was it was genuine in the sense that he was looking to pass meaningful health care reform the talk of him running with Kasich was never gonna happen so you think he, so he, you, you think he vetoed this bill because he's running for president i think that that played into it i think and i'm gonna hear from his office on this one but they already know my thoughts on it i think that he's gotten himself in with some advisors who don't want him to be the marijuana governor here's the problem is anywhere he goes outside of Colorado, do you know what the first question he gets? Yeah. Marijuana. And he doesn't want to own it. He doesn't want it. It was never his thing. He's known for all these other things. I mean, he he was great on oil and gas and finding a balance when it came to fracking and local control and ingredients and methane. He's literally been the best brand ambassador for the state of Colorado in years. We have 100,000 people that move to Denver every day. Our economy is one of the best in the nation. We had the lowest unemployment rate during the economic downturn. He did all of these things he has this whole legacy and everywhere he goes how's marijuana going in colorado he wanted to distance himself from it i think it was a shot across the bow oh man that's i that i feel like he should just lean into it at this point like that's (laughs) yeah i mean such an anyway don't forget that when marijuana was legalized his first comment was don't break out the cheetos and goldfish quite yet So this was a governor that from day one was like, I'm not going to embrace this. And you know what? 
I don't blame him for one reason. He was the first governor to have of um, in history to have to deal with setting up and implementing a legal marijuana system. What if it didn't work? Yeah. What if the sky did fall? That was going to be a tough one for him to walk back, you know? So I get why he played it cautiously. Why he's still doing it, I don't get it because he's going to find out on the national stage that this is actually going to help him win votes in a divisive Democratic primary for president. Are you kidding me? He's going to be like 22 candidates. He's going to have to differentiate himself. He's going to have to win in the liberal base, if he doesn't do that and get behind marijuana, he's going to maybe get a cabinet position if a Democrat wins. So, you know, get on board, John. I, I was going to say, I could see how deeply this cut you. <laughs> it was, it was, you know, as, about, as, about... as we talked to his office about it, you know, we kept telling each other, we can't make this personal. We can't make this personal. This was me talking to his staff, his staff talking to me. We can't make this personal. We can't make this personal. It just felt personal at the end because we worked so hard on it. And we had his own departments, his own departments and his own administration was like, we're good with this, man. And he still vetoed it. And you know what? He didn't just veto that. He vetoed autism, adding autism as a condition for medical marijuana. And that's really what got people upset. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, like that's... The that was pe- crying parents. moms. Yeah, exactly. Crying moms. You know? Yeah. Anyways, bad move, John. I get animated when I talk about <laughs> that because it was a big one for us. Do you go to D.C. often or do you work from Denver? Almost no. Entirely? So I don't do any of our D.C. lobbying. Yeah. Um, we have When you're talking to federal stuff, it's people in, in Colorado. When I'm talking about federal stuff, it's to people in Colorado. It's to trade groups that are working on the federal level. And it's to federal lawmakers who I'll speak with, like a Cory Gardner yeah. or others on, on the subject. But no, we're, I'm not in D.C. Yeah. So you're... You're working locally. Uh, I want to be in DC. <laughs> <laughs> really? Never? You wouldn't want to? Oh, it sounds like a swamp that's not for me. But hey, it's at least. I mean, it's. It, I lived in DC. It's nicer out here. Like it's. <laughs> I mean, it's just I. You know, like Colorado. Like I know my lane. I know the pond. You know, uh, when it comes to lobbying, DC sounds like whoo. Sounds like a whole nother <laughs> level of things right there that I'm not into. That's why we. That's why we have consultants for those things. What do people most often get wrong about your job? It's not that they get wrong. It's that they don't understand. So I was at a meeting. Uh, I attended, was it last October? So, geez, almost a year ago already. I attended a uh, summit uh, hosted by Colorado Christian University. There are leading opponents to marijuana legalization in Colorado. It was an anti-marijuana summit. It was like basically like the who's who of national marijuana opposition, you know? Um, yeah. Kevin Sabet was there and, you know. Oh, I haven't thought about that guy in a while. Yeah, so Kevin was there, who's really just a uh, mouthpiece for Patrick Kennedy. And, you know, um, they had children's psychiatrists talking about how marijuana is going to lead kids one day to like murder people and stuff like that you know like just doom and gloom all over the place you know marijuana is just the worst right anyway uh i went because i love going to those things so um i went and i showed up and everyone there knew me for the most part from like my previous job as a 
supporter. And they were like, oh, aren't you in the marijuana industry now? And I was like, yes. Am I still invited? Of course. Um, so I stayed. It ended up being an incredibly productive experience because I found out just what people don't understand about the legal marijuana business. So uh, one of the seminars I was in was uh, hosted by this group, Smart Colorado. It's a group of moms that have dedicated themselves to protecting kids from legal marijuana. They won't call themselves an opposition group, which is very cute, guys. But um, they focus on kids. Anyway, they hosted a seminar. And, at the, and I stayed and actually walked in and gave one of the uh, leaders from Smart Colorado a hug because I knew her from, these are my opponents, you know, I'm hugging them, you know, right there in this forum because we knew each other from life and we have a great working relationship, believe it or not. Um, people would think I'm crazy, but I really actually like working with Smart Colorado. So we have this seminar and then at the end of it, you know, they did a Q&A. I was just going to keep my mouth shut, but this gentleman, this older gentleman raised his hand and it was not a joke. It was a serious question. Is everyone in the marijuana industry also employed by the mafia? And uh, I just couldn't help myself. And I was wearing like a blazer and jeans, you know, and like shirt and put my hand up and said, I just can't, I can't, I can't. And so I stood up and I was like, sir, I work in the marijuana industry and I assure you I'm not in the mafia. I'm a former political reporter. I'm paid via Wells Fargo direct deposit into my account. You know, like I've passed background checks. Like, I promise you, I'm not a gangster. You know what ensued? About a 10, 15 minute question and answer where the whole audience just kept asking me questions. And the only thing that they wanted to do was get the heart of the industry. I had people that came up to me after to shake my hand. These are the most ardent, opponents of legal marijuana you can find shake my hand i don't like what you do and i don't agree with it but i really appreciate you coming and talking to us about that traded cards have answered follow-up questions from that have even tried to organize tours for some of these people to see our facilities so i think the biggest misconception is that we're somehow gangsters that we're somehow in it for the wrong reasons and you know what when you connect with these people and you put a face to it that changes. They may not support legal marijuana, but they don't think you're as evil as they may have originally. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger. For the ones who get it done. So one thing I've been talking to people a lot about is how the industry is getting a little bit more corporate, a little bit more professionalized, how there are people trying to create the Walmart of weed or whatever. Do you think that you're it's heading in that direction or you're just going to have some giant fucking corporations dominating it? Or I mean, I wonder if that's possible from a regulatory perspective since you deal with the law of... Yeah, from a regulatory perspective, you sure could craft an industry you wanted to see if you were to cap sizes and things like that, right? I don't think that would ever be necessary, and I'll tell you why. is because I see the industry going the same way beer went. You're going to have Budweiser. 
you're going to have cores, and there are people that are fine with sitting in their house drinking a six-pack of Budweiser, but there are definitely a lot of people in a state like Colorado who would rather not drink beer than drink Budweiser. And so there's a massive craft beer scene in here, in Colorado and in every other state. I mean, Colorado is one of the pioneers of the craft beer movement along with California, Oregon, and some of those other states. But you're starting to see it pop up like everywhere now. It actually became a it's becoming a bigger industry, the craft beer industry. So I do see marijuana going the same way. I think that you will definitely have your corporate companies that are massive and maybe not into and into more of a massive output type product and like on a macro type of level, but then you're going to have your micro level and you're going to have craft dispensaries and craft outlets and craft ancillary companies for the edibles and concentrates and stuff like that because like wine and like beer there are snobs out there and when you have a lot of snobs about marijuana you're going to have people that are going to require a certain level of product and i think that the demand from the consumer will sort of force that I mean, and just to add on the corporatization thing, I think you are seeing a consolidation of the cannabis industry, but that's not necessarily a bad thing, or that's not even necessarily an odd thing, because the because it was brand new. And so you had a bunch of companies, a bunch of people, individuals, who engaged in the green rush. Well, not everyone in the gold rush found a ton of gold. And not everyone in the green rush is finding a lot of marijuana, uh, money from marijuana. So, like, the bottom line is that, like, there are companies that thought that it was going to be something that it's not that are going out of business. When that happens, you have a natural market force of consolidation. So it's literally just the market taking care of itself at this point. I don't think there's sort of any sort of big marijuana evil push or anything like that to consolidate and force people out. I just think that... People thought that it was going to be a lot easier to make money in the cannabis industry than it turned out to be. And in, and in terms of what we need, to, what we're looking for in terms of the future is legalization. <laughs> so, I mean, the ultimate where we're going from here is follow the trajectory of gay marriage. It's the the only difference here is I've in terms of a social shift like gay marriage yeah we've been working on marijuana legalization for decades there have been activists and stuff but in terms of the speed in which it's evolved holy cow it's fast i mean this was truly a sleeper people were probably just not talking about it but being like this is ridiculous marijuana should be legal gay marriage had a harder fight but i still think that you follow the trajectory of gay marriage i think you're going to see new jersey do something by the end of the year which is going to force new york game over it's like you start to have the eastern seaboard now you now have new york new jersey massachusetts maine connecticut goes next you have pennsylvania on the medical front they'll go recreational eventually i mean the entire eastern seaboard of fall you have california you have the midwest with colorado and although no colorado's in the rockies not the midwest you have other places in the Midwest that are moving. Michigan is about to move towards there. Um, Ohio is showing more promise. Indiana, people are actually talking about it. Jesus, you just had Oklahoma, one of the reddest states in the nation, pass the most permissive marijuana, med one, of, one of the most permissive medical marijuana 
laws in the country to the point where they're letting people grow at home. Oklahoma sued Colorado when we legalized marijuana because they were afraid we were going to bring it into their state. And now the people there are voting to let people grow marijuana in their houses. So I just think that where the future goes is that obviously legalization, I think it happens faster than people expect. And I think that it follows a similar trajectory to gay marriage that all of a sudden you're going to have three quarters of the country with it done and a couple of pockets in the South that just don't get it. Um, it'll be over. That's it for this week's episode of Working. Hope you like the show. As always, I am your host, Jordan Weissman. And if you did enjoy it, please leave us a review at Apple Podcasts. And if you have questions, comments, thoughts, email me at working at slate.com. I'll get back to you as quickly as I possibly can. The producer I'm working is Jessamine Molly. A thank you, as always, to Justin D. Wright for the ad music. And that's it. Join us next time to hear all about life at MoMA. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.